The greatest of all time just retired Nick Saban. We talk about what it means for Alabama and who could replace him coming up. College football has never been better. Interest has never been higher. I believe that we are at the dawn of the golden age of college football. It was an epic day of college football. It was just one of those days where you fall in love with the sport all over again. Okay, here we go. Um, we knew some news would come down uh, this week in college football. A lot of people thinking that it was going to be um, in regards to Jim Harbaugh and his future, and we may still get that. But, man, a bit of a shocker, Nick Saban stepping away at Alabama, and he will retire Um after 17 seasons with the Tide. What a remarkable run. First and foremost, hey, if you're new to the pod, make sure to follow the pod wherever you're listening to your podcast. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, make sure to subscribe. Go ahead and leave a comment below because I like to get involved and actually chat with you down in the comments. So leave a comment and uh, I'll chop it up with you guys over the next couple of days right there. Um, you can follow us on social media, by the way, anywhere you like to social media at Joel Klatt Show. Uh, this is a bit of an emergency pod here, obviously. The greatest college football coach in the history of our sport just retired, Nick Saban. And that's where I start. I don't think that there's any question, there's no doubt in my mind and many others, and there cer certainly shouldn't be. He is the greatest to ever do it. Um, seven titles, most all time, six at Bama, one at, at LSU, reached number one in the AP poll for 15 straight seasons. He only coached 17 seasons at Alabama, 15 straight years. He reached number one in the poll. That is, that's crazy. That is crazy. And all I can say is like, congratulations, because he went out on his own terms, at least. Um, he went out with a team that he he clearly loved and talked about with with great praise and an admiration, almost as a proud father this year in terms of how much this team grew. But this man is the greatest coach in the history of our sport. We're never going to see this again. Now, for a lot of different reasons. Um, yes, the landscape is going to be changing, and, and I don't think it's going to be possible to dominate to the degree that Alabama just dominated over the last 17 seasons. Number one in, in the country at some point for 15 straight years. I don't think that we can quite put that into context. I, I can't. I mean, what I thought Florida State did finishing in the top four in the AP poll for I think it was 14 straight years was remarkable. This team got to the pinnacle at some point in 15 straight seasons What the Atlanta Braves did winning division titles in the early 90s. That was incredible. But this this is never going to be matched. Never going to be matched. I don't care how good Kirby Smart is and how dominant Georgia is. They are not going to be number one at some point in 15 straight seasons. It's just not going to happen because the sport is changing in so many ways. And Nick Saban did this in an era in which it was harder to dominate than it used to be. I firmly believe that. This, this era is, is incredibly competitive from a recruiting standpoint because there are so many teams that can recruit nationally. And it's not just about regional recruiting. This era is just more difficult to dominate. And he has dominated to a, to, a to a degree, excuse me, that we've never seen before. 
and we never will see again, not with NIL not with transfer portal, not with a 12 team playoff, the way that talent is, is starting to disperse across the country. This, what we just witnessed, we should all just sit back and appreciate because uh, it was in a lot of ways uh, unprecedented. And I don't think that we're ever going to see anything like it again. 10 wins every single season at Alabama after that first year. This one's remarkable too. 17 seasons, only 29 losses. That's wild. 29 losses in 17 seasons at Alabama. He won 87% of his games there. And it wasn't just about what he meant to Alabama because listen, Tide fans, if you're listening to this, first of all, you know what I'm talking about. This guy, th- this guy was the center of everything that happened in the last 17 years. He was the engine. He was the standard. That's the better way to put it. He was the standard. In a lot of ways, he's been the standard in the overall sport, but he was certainly the standard in that building. And what I loved doing was over the last couple of years, getting a chance to go down there. I went down there. I believe it was three times, maybe twice, three times and got to go to a spring practice. Um, uh, didn't sit with Nick, but but met him um, in person because I wanted to meet him in person before we covered the game against Texas. So I went down to Tuscaloosa in the spring before the fall that they were going to travel to Texas. I knew we were going to have that game in the non-conference. I did not want him to not know who I was or you know, I, I just wanted to make it a more comfortable week for our production meeting. So I flew to Tuscaloosa. I went to spring practice to meet him, to watch everybody down there. Will Anderson was incredible. Bryce Young was incredible. I was just blown away by the organization. And everybody that I talked to down there on that visit said the exact same thing. If you don't love ball, if you don't want to come here and really work, if you don't love this, then this ain't for you. And that standard was set by Nick Saban. Last spring, got a chance to go down there and and talk with Nick in our big noon conversations. And, And that was in a lot of ways, really special. And I'm not going to play the sound just yet from a couple of sound bites, but I just want to explain to you that like, even in the spring, you walk into that building and there was a buzz, there was an urgency. And that urgency was set by coach Saban. And when coach was walking around in the halls, when coach would walk into the room, I mean, everybody, it was just like clockwork. Everybody is is ready. Everybody knows their job and they're doing it with urgency and they want to do it great because they don't want to have to deal with coach. You talk with coaches uh, that have been on that staff and they'll tell you it's hard. It's hard to coach for Coach Saban. And every one of them loved it. Why? Because they grew. Because growth is hard. This is what I don't believe we have a lot of in our current society. We have a lot of coddling in our current society. And you know what? We have a lot of coddling in college football, too. A lot of coaches coddle. They think that they're being a player's coach. But in reality, they're just creating a very easy environment. And that easy environment does not inspire, nor does it deliver growth of those young men. And his style was different. He held a standard. And he made people uncomfortable. And that standard was difficult. And that difficulty created growth. 
everybody that came through that program, whether they were a player, whether they were a coach, whether they were on the periphery in terms of the, the, you know, ancillary staff, if you will, everybody grows. Think about what he meant to Steve Sarkeesian at the point in life that Steve Sarkeesian was Lane Kiffin, all these different people like this. This guy is remarkable in so many ways. And if we want to just pause for a moment and just think about what he has meant to the sport more overall, or even that conference, the SEC, in a lot of ways, Nick built what we know to be the SEC. You know, before he got to LSU, the SEC was not the dominant conference in the country. And and candidly, not really even close. I mean, the yes, they had some great teams. And I don't want to disparage Steve Spurrier, because obviously he did a tremendous job at Florida. And Philip Fulmer was doing a great job at Tennessee. And those teams won national championships. And even Gene Stallings in the early 90s won a national championship, that great Sugar Bowl victory. So it's not like, it, you know, the SEC was non-existent. That's not what I'm trying to say, but it certainly wasn't the dominant force that it is today. The dominant force that it is today started when Nick Saban got to LSU. Mike Slive, his vision, Saban gets to LSU, Urban Meyer gets to Florida. They start to win. They start to compete. Greg Sankey becomes the commissioner and the dominance ensued in 2006 with Meyer's Florida team. And then it just continued Alabama beats Texas. And then here we go 15 straight years that they earn at least at some point during the season, a number one ranking. He's responsible for that. Everybody else in that conference had to chase him the level that they all had to get to, to win a national championship, whether it was LSU, whether it was Auburn, whether it was Georgia, they all had to deal with Alabama. He was the standard. He is the standard. He was the standard, which is why that conference is where it's at. They have been and are the best conference in the country for the last 15 years because of Nick Saban. And that has really shaped college football. It has shaped the way the other conferences have tried to chase that. All right. And some of them haven't. And this, this guy, you know, and, and the way that he went about it, I, Highly respect. I think the best compliment anybody like me can pay a coach. And I've said this about a guy like uh, Bob Stoops. I've said this about, um, I would have loved to play for Nick Saban. Now I was clearly not good enough to, to play for Nick Saban. Maybe I could have walked on or something along those lines, but just learn from him. Be mentored, listen to him. Can you imagine getting to sit in front of Nick Saban and listen to him speak about motivation, standard, about creating value, all those things? I mean, just absolute gems, which is why our conversation last year was one of my favorite that I've ever sat down. I've done a lot of interviews, and, and we're going to do more big noon conversations this offseason here on the show. But that one really was, in a lot of ways, my my favorite. One, I don't get a, a chance to talk with Nick Saban a lot because we don't cover the SEC. Um, but I wanted to ask him questions that I knew he would give really deep and thoughtful answers to. And I've got a couple that I want to talk about because I hope that he is not just going to go and and you know sit in his lake house and be like super retired. 
I hope that Nick Saban is going to still be involved in the sport to some degree. And and I have an idea. And let's start by listening to uh, a couple of those sound bites from Big Noon Conversations. This is Nick and I last year in Tuscaloosa. If you were to start to address some of the issues in college football, where would you start? Well, I think you have to create a balance between how much do you take and how much do you give? Okay. Um, you know, we're giving people scholarships. We're creating name, image, and likeness opportunities. But what is their commitment? I mean, there's no place in the world where you don't have a contract. Uh, if you're going to receive benefits, you have a contract and an obligation to do a certain job. So when you can opt out, transfer, do whatever you want, whenever you want, I'm not sure the balance is quite right. Mm -hmm. um, I know there's a lot of people out there that are much more qualified than me that are trying to figure out how do we fix this. But I think we do need to create some balance because I think at the end of the day, when you create an atmosphere where somebody's tentatively committed to what they're trying to accomplish, you have to evaluate, is that really a good thing? Sure. Because we all need to be totally committed to whatever you know, our goals and aspirations are, the sense of purpose that we have, if we're going to have a chance to be successful. Man, I every, every time I write it down, that's why I'm, if you're watching, I'm, I'm just writing down more of, of what he said. Um, a lot to take away there. And, and obviously that deals with the structure of the sport, but you can tell that this guy understands and, and he understands how to attack these problems, not just from a fan's perspective or a coach's perspective. If you actually really listen to what his answer there, and I said, there's a lot going on in college football. What would you fix? What would be the, the first thing? And he talks about this balance. Okay. And, and when you really boil it down, you could say like, well, of course, he's going to talk about that from a coach's perspective, but he's not. He's actually talking about it from a from a growth perspective, from a mentor's perspective. And he gets to this last line and, and he gets to it through this balance between what you take and what you give. And and then he starts talking about like, well, what is the commitment? We give these players a lot of things. What is their commitment in return when they can just opt out or transfer at any moment? And then he says, and this is the best line of them all. And this is the one where he's actually looking out for the player, whether they know it or not. He says, when someone's tentatively committed to what they're trying to accomplish, nothing good happens. That's exactly right. And it's true for every single one of us. It doesn't matter if we are a college football player or in our own careers, as fathers or mothers or sons or daughters, whatever it is in our marriages, if we are tentatively committed to what we're trying to accomplish, we will always fall short. Like, that's brilliant. And so I, I circle back to say like, well, there's, he says in that answer, there's, there's more qualified people than me trying to figure this out. No, no, there, there isn't, there isn't coach. On the off chance that he sees this, you coach Saban are the most qualified to tackle the issues in college football. There's no doubt about it. Your perspective is absolutely correct because you understand the problem from the coach's perspective, from the program's perspective, and from the player's perspective, whether they realize it or not. 
These players, they want all of these things. And you know what? It's good that they have them at this point. But the structure needs to at least change a little bit because of the balance between what you take and what you give. You've got to give something back. There needs to be a contract. And it's because of the player's benefit. The last line, and I'll say it one more time. Somebody that is tentatively committed to what they're trying to accomplish never accomplishes that goal. Okay, so when when we allow this autonomy and agency with players, it is good to a certain extent. And so I'm hoping that that coach will stay involved. There's one more comment uh, from our Big Noon Conversations that I wanted to share, and here it is. What I think we have a great sport. And I think it's been great for a lot of people for a lot of years, including myself, when I had the opportunity to play for Don James, who had a great impact on my life. Mm -hmm. I mean, even got me headed in a direction that has been, you know, something that I've enjoyed tremendously for many, many years. So I do look at the sport and the big picture of the sport and what's best for the sport and not just for football. But what are the consequences of some of the things that we're doing now if we continue down this road and how it impacts other sports and how it impacts opportunities for other people to play other sports that may not be revenue producing sports, but yet for many, many years have created opportunities for people to get an education to better their quality of life down the road and have a chance to compete as college student athletes. I mean, I don't know how does that impact all of them? So um, I really do try to think about what's best for the sport. And, I mean, we have to deal with name, image, and likeness now. But when we started this a few years ago and I said, is this what we want college football to become? I got criticized for saying that. And now people are saying, whoa, you know, maybe we should be looking at this a little closer because, you know, maybe this isn't what we want college sports to become. Oh, what a great answer. What a great answer. And if you've listened to this show for any amount of time, um, you, you'll know that I constantly talk about the fact that we do need someone looking out for the sport overall. And that person should be Coach Saban. Now, whether he wants to do that or not, I'm not sure. Whether it's an official position or not, I'm not sure. But this man has an opportunity to continue the legacy and continue the impact that he has had on our sport and others as well, as he mentioned in that answer, um, because he does look at it from a global perspective. It is a great sport. It does impact young men so positively. And the opportunities that football create, not just for football players and coaches, but also for every other athlete at the university. You know, I mean, like there are very few athletic programs that are not football programs that make money. And all of those opportunities are created because of football. Now, there are people out there that hate that inconvenient truth, but it is true. And so the fact that we need to protect football, its structure, how it operates is absolutely right to protect the opportunities for everybody else in intercollegiate athletics. That big picture type thinking, that 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 ability for him to think of the opportunity, not just for the football player, but the other athletes at the school, 
also think about the football player, even while understanding that NIL opportunities are probably the right way to go and transfer portal. And it's going to be there. Well, how do we maintain their commitment level so that they are not tentatively committed? Because if they're tentatively committed, they won't reach their objectives. (laughs) You know, they won't create the value that they could possibly create for themselves moving forward. And what does he really want for people? He want, he wants people, whether they're football players or not non-revenue athletes to create opportunities so they can better their quality of life. That's why Nick Saban, I'm hoping desperately, whether it's just ancillary or not, will stay involved with the sport because his voice matters in particular when we're wrestling with the structure right now at a really important time in the sports history. So there's that he's the great coach, right? He's obviously a tremendous mentor and congratulations, coach. You are the greatest to do it. Um, in a lot of ways, in a lot of ways, we're never going to see anybody like you or in particular have the amount of success that we've seen you have over the last 17 years. Now, where does Alabama go from here? Man, Alabama and Georgia are the two preeminent programs in the country, even with Michigan winning a national championship and Ohio state still recruiting at the level that they are. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear. You've got to go through one or the other in order to win a national championship. Michigan had to go through Alabama last year. Georgia wins the year before that Georgia wins. Um, you know, the year before that Alabama wins, like you, you have to deal with these programs and this is what's going to be so difficult for Alabama is that they they do have that standard and their fan base is not going to come off of that standard. This is the this is the thing. They're like an F1 car. It's like Georgia and Alabama is like an F1 car. And and nobody really gets to be behind the wheel of an F1 car in college football. None of the other programs are really like those two. Maybe Ohio State, maybe. And I think Ryan Day probably has a unique understanding for at least the expectation and then deals with the pressure that these two guys do Kirby and and Nick Saban. But Alabama is, is a different animal, 15 straight years reaching number one. It is an F one car. And now somebody's going to be asked to go drive that car, but they aren't going to have F one driving experience. They might be a racer. Okay. They're, they're going to be a coach and they might be experienced, but they won't have dri- driven that car. And The first time they get behind that wheel, they're going to be required by that fan base to win the race. This is an incredibly difficult position for whoever gets this job. And yet it is, as I would put, one of the most coveted, if not the most coveted positions in the sport. So now we've got to look at, at like, what's going to need to happen at Alabama? What, What do they need? How quickly do they need to move? Well, In this day and age, with players having the ability, once their coach moves, to also move, they need to move quickly. I think Bama needs to hire somebody in in the first 24, 38 hours. I don't think that they can get into the 40-hour realm. I think you're going to lose too many players. They've already lost the five-star wide receiver who committed to them but didn't sign his letter of intent, Ryan Williams. He already decommitted. Okay, so... You can't allow that room to just 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 fester with with unknowns. Okay, so 
unknowns present a vacuum and within a vacuum outside noise gets in this is what Saban is so great at is not allowing that outside noise in this team you really think there aren't people like calling these players I think Bama needs to work really quickly and because of that I think that it's a very short list and to me you know, the list is really like four or five, maybe coaches, but legitimately it's really only three, the the best coaches in the sport. Maybe there's, there's six possible names. Kirby smart. John, uh, Jim Harbaugh, excuse me. Ryan day. And then you get into some other guys like Sarkeesian, Lanning, DeBoer, Riley, maybe Dabo. That's the list. Okay, that's the list. And a lot of those names, to be honest, don't make a lot of sense. So you can just scratch them off right now. Kirby. Kirby's at his, he's home. Kirby doesn't want to. I don't think, I don't think Kirby's going to go to Alabama, nor do I think Alabama should, should sniff around there because Kirby can't even entertain that with his fan base. Jim, if Jim's coaching in college football, he's coaching at Michigan. Plus Alabama's not going to want anything to do with Jim Harbaugh. Dabo. Well, that's interesting. Cause he could go home. Here's the problem. He has shown over the last few years that he has been incredibly rigid. Now I think he's an excellent coach. But not shifting as the sport shifted, I think, has really hurt Dabo. We see that in the record that Clemson has had. One of the things that Saban has done the best of maybe anybody is his willingness to evolve. We've seen his willingness to evolve as as the sport has changed, as the schematics have changed and he has evolved with it in order to stay ahead of it in order to retain his standing as the best. So in a lot of ways, like I don't think the fan base would even be all that thrilled with Dabo. Cause it's like, well, Dabo, the game kind of passed him. Now he might return and he might shift and evolve. And, and you know what? I hope he does. I think that that would be great if Clemson got back to a point that they were a couple of years ago. But at this moment, I just don't, I don't see that Ryan day. I don't, I don't see that either. Like, I don't, I don't think that Alabama is going to want Ryan day. I don't think Ryan day is going to want to go to Alabama. So that that's not really a fit Lincoln Riley. That, that doesn't really make sense in particular after the struggles that they've had this year. And so here we go with the three names that do make sense. Here we go. This is the list. This is the list. Steve Sarkeesian, Dan Lanning, Kalen DeBoer. That's the list. I believe the next Alabama coach is one of those three individuals. And the reason I ordered them this way is, well, let me just walk through it. Steve Sarkeesian. Saban gave him his first job after he was fired from USC. And he was an analyst, ended up being the OC in the championship game after Kiffin's kind of dismissal or debacle. He went to the Falcons as an OC, came back. And, and I will tell you a story, and I know this to be absolutely true. Before Steve got the Texas job, the year before, he had an opportunity 
and was offered a job that he was willing to take and wanted to take. And he went back to tell Coach Saban that that was his plan. And Coach Saban said, you don't want to coach there. I think that you're going to be great here after I leave. Okay? So I think Coach Saban wanted to, through Steve Sarkeesian, set up Alabama like Oklahoma did with Bob Stoops and Lincoln Riley or like Ohio State did with Urban Meyer to Ryan Day. I I believe that that was Coach's intention, but it didn't work out that way, okay? Uh, And, you know, life gets in the way, success gets in the way, opportunities get in the way. And so Steve decided not to take that job that was open that he was willing to take and wanted to take. He stayed with Alabama for one more year, and then he got the job at Texas. And Texas was a job that I think both of them acknowledged, like, yeah, you don't turn that one down. You don't just, so so go ahead. But at some point in the last few years, Steve Sarkeesian has envisioned himself as the Alabama head coach after Nick Saban. He had so much success there as an offensive coordinator. He's had so much success as a head coach now at three different places. And maybe USC wasn't ultimate success, but he built Washington from a no win program into a perennial bowl contender. He has his life issues at USC. He changes his life. He becomes a great offensive coordinator, goes to Texas and now has built them into a team that we all think is going to be in the top five next year. Went to the playoff at Texas. So that's got to be their first call. Through his experience, not only at Alabama, but as a head coach, I think Steve's going to be the first call for Alabama. I would be shocked if they haven't already made it. Now, here's the thing. I don't think that he's going to want to go back. That's just a hunch, but that's just, I don't think he's going to want to go back, which means that the second call goes to Dan Lanning. All right. And I'm sure that that call has already been been made as well. He was a grad assistant under Saban, so he doesn't quite have the timeline or history under Saban that Sarkeesian did, but he cut his teeth under Kirby. And Kirby's basically an extension of Nick Saban. And so that is the Nick tree, right? That makes a lot of sense to me. He's still young, by the way, very young. He's just two years into his head coaching career, but he's built what we all think could be a powerhouse at Oregon. I think Oregon might be the favorite in the Big Ten next year. You know, in a lot of ways, and and I will still, you know, release a, a way too early top 10. More on that in a little bit. But Oregon's going to be an incredibly difficult out next year. This is going to be a really good team. So Dan is building something special up in Eugene. He's going to get a call. There's no doubt. Now, he's got quite a buyout, and money's not going to be an issue. Oregon's going to be able to pay him whatever he wants. Steve's going to be able to get whatever he wants at Texas. Dan Lanning's going to have to make a really tough decision, a very tough decision. I don't know which way he's going to go. I don't think anybody, anybody, maybe the most ardent Ducks fans, but but certainly no one outside of that realm would would question or give him grief if this is the decision that he made to go coach at Alabama, right? I mean, it's it's Alabama. Now, does he want to do that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure because he's got a, a small family, young family, I should say, that really likes Eugene. He's building something that he knows can compete at the highest level. He's going into a conference that's going to have direct access and plenty of at-large opportunities uh, in, the, in the future 12-team playoff. If they are to get a home game, now he's got the ability to get everybody up there in Autzen, which is a very difficult place to play. 
The only hard part is, is that it's a bit difficult to recruit just because of geography. Now, he's done a great job. Resources are not an issue, so he's got to make a decision. Does he want to be the guy that follows the goat? I don't know. That is that is a a really tough decision. I believe his buyout is right around $20 million. I don't think that that's going to be a factor for, for Alabama. They're going to be able to pay top dollar. They're going to be able to buy out. I don't think money is going to be a factor in all of this. Everything, at least in my estimation, is going to be about willingness. Not money, but willingness. And so the first call, call goes to Sarkeesian. I think Steve's going to turn it down. I think the next call goes to Dan Lanning. I'm not sure. I think that's 50-50. If Dan wants it, I think he gets it. And it probably happens in the first 20 hours, like quickly. Wouldn't shock me if there was some sort of joint press conference, if that's the case. You know, a handing off or or an anointing, if you, almost. You, you, know, you know what I mean? Because that would keep the locker room intact. It's like Nick, Nick sits in front of the team and he's like, this is your guy. I sign off on this. I think that would obviously alleviate a lot of the concern about what happens to that roster or locker room. If it gets past landing, I believe the next one is Kalen DeBoer. Now he signed an extension last November. He's got a 12 million buyout, but again, I don't think the finances are going to be an issue. There's been contract talks again this year, but nothing's signed, which is interesting. He also went with Jimmy Sexton as an agent, which as you know, if you follow college football at all, Jimmy Sexton is agent extraordinaire across the country, but more specifically in the SEC. Also Saban's agent. Just saying. Kalen DeBoer is 104 and 12 as a head coach. He has worked everywhere that he has been. He is excellent. There's no doubt. He's 25 and 3 at Washington. He just went to the national championship game. It was not a fluke. It's not just because of Michael Penix, okay? This guy has won everywhere that he has been. He's an excellent football coach. It doesn't get past him. That's why my list is three names. The other names just don't really make sense, all right? Like, they're they're not calling Ryan Day. They're not calling Kirby Smart. They're not calling Jim Harbaugh. And I don't think they're calling Lincoln Riley or, or Dabo Sweeney. They make... Three phone calls, potentially. The first is Steve Sarkeesian. If he wants the job, I believe it's his. If he doesn't take it, the next offer is Dan Lanning. If he wants the job, I believe it's his. And if he says no and stays at Oregon and wants to go to the Big Ten, I believe the next call is to Kalen DeBoer. He doesn't turn it down. If it gets to Kalen DeBoer, that's your next coach at Alabama. That's the way that I see it going. By the way, that is no inside information. I just, that's... That's my gut feeling about how this is all going to go. That's my gut feeling. And I do think it's going to happen really quickly. I'll be very surprised. As I'm recording this, it is, let's see, 6 p.m. Pacific time on, what is today, Wednesday. If it's 6 p.m. Pacific time Thursday and Alabama doesn't have a head coach, I'm going to be pretty surprised. Because of the immediacy and the the urgency that they need to act in order to maintain that locker room. All right. It's just, it's just different than it's ever been. I would be very surprised if Alabama didn't have some prior notice. I would be very surprised if, and here's the best, here's the best part. Like Jimmy Sexton is so involved with all of these, these guys. It's not like there's a lot of people that have to know. So just saying, um, 
it's going to be send ripple effects through college football, though, because then all of a sudden, you know, one of those jobs is going to be open, Texas or Oregon or Washington. And those are great jobs. Those are great jobs. So we will see how this all plays out here in the next 24, 40 hours or so. But I do think it's going to move really quickly, and I think it needs to move very quickly. Uh, Okay, hey, remember to follow us uh, on the podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on the YouTube channel. Leave a comment below. I'd love to be in the chat uh, with you as well, and I'll I'll jump in there and and comment on some of those comments throughout the week. And then uh, follow us on social media. Wherever you get your social media, we're at Joel Klatt Show. If you want to follow me personally, um, not affiliated to the show, that's at Joel Klatt on Twitter. Um, all right. This has been an emergency pod. I know I, I teased earlier in the week that I was going to have a top 10. We already did it. And now it's, as you can imagine, kind of blown up <laughs> because I don't know who's going to be the coach of some of those teams that I have in next year's top 10. Uh, so, We'll try to figure out when we're going to release it or whether we're going to retape it or or whatnot. Um, I'll try to tweet that out as soon as we kind of figure that out. But I just will finish with this. Congratulations, Coach Coach Saban. You are the greatest to ever do it. And in a lot of ways, it has been fun watching you dominate this sport that we all love. That'll do it for uh, me today. Uh, We'll be back with another episode soon. So uh, we'll keep you posted on all those social channels.